0: glad that you are joining us this morning. Uh, before we begin uh, our service, let me give you just a couple of announcements. Uh, the first uh, is that uh, if you are uh, paying attention to the, uh, the bulletins, uh, you'll find that uh, there is no uh, insert with the sermon notes, unfortunately. We had some technical uh, difficulties uh, printing uh, the inserts this morning, so apologize for that. Um, but also, uh, next Sunday, September 5th, we'll be, getting, we'll be starting a new class on Sunday, during the Sunday school hour. Which is from nine to ten, and that is a study through the Book of Genesis, and so uh, this will be covering just different topics in the Book of Genesis. But also, if you're interested in uh, creation uh, and, uh, and and evolution and things like that, uh, this is uh, this class will cover those topics. Uh, again, that's starting next week uh, at from nine to ten, uh, September fifth, uh, and then also. Uh, Just wanted to let uh, you know for those of you who have parents or maybe no uh, parents uh, in the church who might not be here yet this morning, um, or if you're looking to invite uh, a parent uh, to Sunday morning service, is that uh, beginning October, uh, the the nursery will be expanding to up to uh, seven years old. Right now, it's up to four, uh, but it'll actually go up to seven uh, beginning in October, and then uh, lastly, uh, there will be a ladies' uh, luncheon on September 19th uh, following the service in the fellowship hall uh, downstairs. And so any, if you're a lady, you're welcome to be a part of that, whether you are a member or whether you are a guest or visitor, um, you're welcome to attend that. So uh, let's uh, worship the Lord this morning. Uh, our, our God is uh, great. Uh, he is um, worthy uh, to be praised. And so let us come together to rejoice in the God of our salvation. Whatever distractions might be in your minds this morning, whatever burdens you're carrying, I would encourage you to, for this brief time that we have this morning, to try to set those things aside. And just let us just join our hearts and our minds to worship the Lord Jesus this morning, to remember that we have great joy knowing that God has saved us from our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And prayerfully, hopefully, by the conclusion of this service, that you can then turn your attention to whatever those distractions are uh, that are there in your life, whatever burdens are there that are waiting for you at home, whatever responsibilities you have for this week, that you can sort of see those in a new perspective, you can uh, engage with those things uh, and meet those expectations uh, with a renewed sense of joy in the Lord, and so let's worship Him this morning.
1: But let's stand. Let's worship this morning. A bit of uh, technical difficulties, but the Lord always comes through. Amen. So before we sing... we sing we do our call to worship and um, today's call to worship uh, it's 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 just a time for us to really focus on what we're about to sing right Uh, understand what we're singing Um, uh, and this 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 helps us to to kind of enter into that place Um, and this is this comes from the word of god psalms 33 uh, verses 20 to 22 and it says our soul waits for the lord he is our help and our shield For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Yes, Lord. Let's let's sing on to the Lord. grace alone. By grace alone somehow I stare, where even angels fear to tread, invited by redeeming love, before the throne. With nail scarred hands into his everlasting arms. When condemnation grips my heart and Satan tempts me to despair, yes, Lord that scatters fear yes it does the great the great I am the Lord is here This is the art. This is the art. so What patience, what patience would wait as we constantly roam? A father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy. We still need the dead we could never afford. In the strength that God has given With shield of faith and belt of truth We'll stand against the devil's lies An army bold whose battle cry is love Reaching out to those in darkness Our call to war soul, but to rage against the captor, and with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valor, when faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure, and Christ will have the prize for we the cross, where love and mercy need us, yes, Lord, as the Son of God has shaken, and see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet, for the conqueror has risen, and as the soul is rolled away, and Christ emerges from the grave. March Continues till the day Every eye and heart shall see Him So Spirit come So Spirit come Put strength in every stride Give race for every hurdle That we may ride With faith to win the prize Of a serving good and Of old still by the way, retell the triumphs of His grace. We hear their calls and hunger for the day when with Christ we sin in Lord. As saints, as saints of old still by the way, retell the triumphs of His grace, we hear their calls day when with Christ we stand in glory. Yes, Lord. Father, we worship you this morning, hoping to give you, Lord, the glory that you deserve, that you, that you deserve, Father. Father, we, we, we come today on this Sunday um, as a church, as a body, to come and congregate um, in, in, in yes, Lord, worshiping you and praising you, but also Lord, for us to grow in fellowship, um, for us to, to grow and um, being edified and, 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 and so Father, I, I pray that now through your word, um, that we may continue in worship, that we may learn from your word that our hearts, our minds may be open to receive your word. So let your church arise. Let us worship you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated.
0: And let me read to us from 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 9. And then we'll transition to a time of prayer. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. It tells us, Rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy, and deserving of full acceptance. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a joy it is to worship you, to glorify your great name, We praise you and we thank you for this opportunity you've given us to rejoice in our salvation. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. In several places in the Holy Scriptures, we read of how the Christian life is compared to a race in which we all run, striving for the prize. And Father, because of what awaits us at the end of the finish line, we consider this race worth running. So we discipline ourselves, we train ourselves, we run in this race. And what's more is that you keep us. And you strengthen us and you give to us everything that we need for the race so that we may cross the finish line. While bodily training and exercise is of value, of greater value is the spiritual exercise of our hearts and our minds. And even our very souls through the exercise of our faith. Yet we don't always give attention to the training of our hearts and the training of our minds through your divinely inspired word. Father, forgive us for our neglect. Forgive us for the times when we would rather give ourselves to the laziness of sin and the laziness of taking matters into our own hands when we should have exercised our faith by trusting in you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, that you would encourage us today, that you would renew, help us to renew our faith and our trust upon you, Lord. Jesus, we pray this morning for the Smiths, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity, the wonderful opportunity they have had to spend time with their granddaughter during the summer. God, we pray for them and we ask that you might continue to direct their feet and guide their paths. We ask that you would increase their joy in the Lord and increase their joy in their salvation. We pray, Lord, that you would bless Jay and all his, el- his efforts as an elder of your church, that you would continue to grant to him wisdom and understanding. We pray that you would continue to be with Courtney and protect her and her health. And we ask that you would sustain her and help her to continue to lean upon the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray also for the Stevens. God, we pray that they would continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We pray for Rhonda's parents. And God, we thank you for the faith that has saved them, and we pray that that same faith would continue to sustain them and carry them each and every day. Father, we pray for their family members. You know who they are, Lord. We pray for their salvation. And Father, we pray that you would continue to give hope to Boyd and Rhonda, that they would not relent in praying for their salvation. And we pray, God, that you would be gracious and merciful, Lord, and save them by the blood of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we pray for your saints, who are enduring trials of various kinds. God, would you give to them great patience in the time of their trials, and would you fill their hearts and their minds with great peace? Through these trials, Lord, we pray that you would develop their character, that you would encourage them with the hope of the gospel of Christ. And we pray that you would graciously provide for their every need, and we pray that you would help them to endure and to continue to run the race and that they would run the race well. Lord, we pray for the many missionaries spread across the globe. Lord, give them the boldness of the apostles in the sharing of the gospel of Christ. We pray that they may be full of grace and power like Stephen in the scriptures. And may they show a Lydia-like hospitality for the sake of the gospel of Christ. Would you bless their efforts? Would you provide, God, for their every need? We ask that you would strengthen them with endurance so that they may continue to run the race and run it well. God, we pray for the saints at New Life Baptist Church. Lord, train your people in godliness, for it is godliness that holds great value now and in eternity. May they grow tremendously in good works, and that such good works would be seen by others, so that they may in turn glorify God who is in heaven. Lord, when, when Jesus began his ministry, he began preaching, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And even though Jesus has ascended after his resurrection, he made a promise that he will be with his church now and always, even until the end of the age. And the Lord Jesus remains with his church even today. And his kingdom is here in the form of his church. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help your people to proclaim the gospel of your kingdom. God, we pray for the salvation of sinners. We pray that there would be an incredible, an astounding repentance in our country, that there would be a a numberless amount of people coming, pressing into the kingdom, seeking salvation through Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, that you might soften hearts. We pray that you might embolden your church to proclaim the gospel of your kingdom. We pray that you would do this ultimately for your glory, God. And lastly, we pray for those in our church who are fathers for those who are fathers with children in the home, for those who are expecting to be fathers in the future. God, what a joy and what a privilege it is to know you in a personal way as Abba Father. You teach us in your word what a good father is like. And so we pray for our fathers, Lord. We pray that we may learn from you. May our lives and our love for our spouse, for our children be a reflection of the love that we receive from our heavenly father help us to be good providers protectors defenders and cultivators in our home and in our work life lord we trust you for all of these things and we look forward to all that you are going to do and we join our hearts this morning praying also the prayer that jesus himself taught us to pray in the Scriptures. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. If you would, uh, turn with me to the book of James, James chapter 1, beginning at verse 2, reading verses 2 and 3, and then skipping down to verse 13. But I also encourage you to keep your Bibles open, because I'll be actually referencing James quite often in this, throughout this sermon, so taking a brief aside from going into the book of Psalms and touching on a particular subject, so James chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. On to verse 13. Or rather, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test... He will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you may give to us the humility to sit under your word. Father, I pray that you would give me the humility to speak your word in your words only and not my opinions and not my thoughts, but your word and your word only. And we pray that your spirit would work in our hearts to bring about a transformation that could only come from your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the toughest exams in the world is an exam called the UPSC, which is in India, the Union Public Service Commission exam. This is an exam for anyone seeking civil services, such as Indian Police Service or the Indian Foreign Services. And this is an exam that is conducted over three stages over the span of three months. And all stages need to be clear before you go on to the next stage and finally to the last stage and complete that. Now, it is said, according to statistics, that about 10 million people apply to take this test and only half actually show up for the test. In part, it's because of the intimidation or the anxiety that they feel about taking this incredibly tough exam. And according to statistics, from the people who actually apply to actually who those, those who, who pass the exam, they see that the success rate is less than 1%. Last week, as we went into Psalm 11, Psalm 11 made this stark contrast between the righteous and the wicked, and it tells us in Psalm 11 that God stands in opposition towards the wicked. It's a position of enmity. But in contrast, it tells us in Psalm 11 that God, on the other hand, tests the Righteous. A very different relationship. And so this morning, we talked a little bit about the testing of Christians last week, but I thought it might be helpful to explore this topic a little bit more this morning. And so that's the subject that we turn to, and that is the testing of the righteous. And to understand this topic or this doctrine of the testing of the righteous to understand what a righteous person is, and we talked at length about what a righteous person is according to Psalm 11, according to the Scriptures as a whole, but to summarize it, a righteous person is a person who does righteousness first and primarily out of his love for God and reverence for God. A righteous person, according to the Scriptures, is a person who believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ, whose account is one of righteousness, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that person does righteousness out of his faith in Jesus Christ. And that this faith isn't just an intellectual faith. It isn't just, yes, Jesus is Savior, but it it is an embracing faith. It's an embracing of Jesus Christ. It is a following of Jesus Christ with one's life for the rest of one's life. It is loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. According to the scriptures, that is what a righteous person is. Now, while the UPSC exam is completed over the span of a few months, and it is a, an incredibly tough exam, I would argue that the testing of the righteous is a much more difficult exam, in part because the Christian is tested Numerous times over the span of his or her life. And so first, I'd like to help us to, to clarify, to clarify for us what is a test. So we're talking about the testing of the righteous. It's helpful to understand what it means to be tested. And the book of James, and I think it's helpful when we look at the book of James, because James helps us to see what a test is not. So in James, the passage we just read, says in verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. But then when you get to verse 13 of James chapter 1, it talks about temptation. In James 1.13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So James gives us a contrast between, or a difference between, testing and temptation. Temptation, according to the book of James, temptation naturally is opposed to God. Temptation is against God. It's against the very nature of God. It tells us, let no one ever say that he is being tempted by God because God is not evil. God cannot be tempted with evil, and he tempts no one. So in other words, it's telling us that nobody is ever tempted by God because temptation is naturally bent towards evil. and Because God himself is not evil, he would never tempt anyone towards evil. The object of temptation is always to sin against God. Temptation always has to do with sin and evil. So, James is telling us the difference between temptation and being tested is that temptation comes from within. Again, The word says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So it comes from within. Yes, there might be an object outside of us that might be the object of our temptation, but it's not the very thing that is evil. the evil ultimately lurks within the heart. And that ultimately is what gives birth to sin. And sin is always against God. Testing, on the other hand, is from without. So consider the context of the book of James. James is written to Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. And in his opening words, he says, Count it all joy when you suffer trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Right, so the difference is that we don't rejoice in temptation, but the Scriptures actually tells us to rejoice in trials, rejoice in the testing of your faith. More on that a little bit later. It sounds odd to count it all joy when you are being tested. But testing of the faith comes from without, not from within. The main objective of temptation is to get you to sin against God, to lure you away from God, to draw you away from God. And sin is more than, but not less than, dissatisfaction in Christ. But the main objective of testing is to get you to trust in God, to draw you closer to the Lord, not further away. So to kind of help us understand these differences better, there are good examples of the differences of both in the Scriptures Many of you are familiar with the story of Job. Job's life was a sort of test, or he experienced tests in his own life. In Job chapter 1, verse 8, the Satan comes before the Lord, and the Lord says to Satan in Job 1.8, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Then later, it shows that Job passed the test. Then later in Job chapter 2, verse 3, the same thing happens again. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. So two tests, and then later, you might even consider it a third test. In verse 9 of Job chapter 2, Then his wife said to her husband, Job, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So there's a testing of Job. Satan makes an accusation. God, the reason why Job holds fast to his faith in you is because you've, he has no trials in his life. He has everything. He lacks nothing. Take away all that stuff. In fact, take away his health and watch. He will curse you to your face. A testing that's coming from without. And Job holds fast to his integrity, continues to lean upon the Lord, continue to trust in the Lord. And Job never sinned with his lips. And then a, an example of temptation. Many of you are familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba. David, the king of Israel, up on the rooftop of his palace when he should have been out with his armies, with his soldiers, battling and out on the field was at home. He's a woman bathing, ask, commands his subjects to bring her to him, lies with her, she becomes pregnant, and in order to hide his sin, has her husband killed, he marries her until finally his sin finds him out. Right, That wasn't a testing. God was not testing David because that would have been a contradiction to the character of God, inciting his servants towards evil. No. David was lured by his own desires and sinned against Sheba, sinned against her husband, sinned against the nation of Israel as the, as the king of the people, but he ultimately sinned against God. Sin and temptation is always against God. And God does not tempt anyone towards sinning against Him. But sin always comes from within, lured and enticed by one's own desires. As I said before, sin, at the very least, is a dissatisfaction in Christ. David had everything. And he wanted the one thing that he could not have. Isn't that the nature of sin? Isn't that the nature of sin in your own lives? To want the thing that you cannot have. Especially when God is giving you something better. He saw, he took, he consumed. Then he would go on to regret. Isn't that the typical pattern of temptation, we see, we take, we consume, and we immediately regret. Thankfully, we have a God who is gracious towards us. The difference between test and temptation is the difference of intention. Temptation's intention is always towards evil, but the test's intention is always towards good. Now, here in James chapter 1, verse 2, we have the word trial and have the word testing. Oftentimes, in the New Testament, you'll find one particular Greek word that's used for testing and one for temptation. The context determines whether it's testing or temptation. But there's a particular word, a different word that's used in verse 3 when it says the testing of your faith. And this actually speaks to genuineness which is very similar to what you see in 1 Peter chapter 1 where it talks about the tested genuineness of your faith. So kind of reading James chapter 1 verse 2 a little bit differently with these different definitions in mind of these two Greek words that are used here in the passage, it would read, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet tests of various kinds for you know that the the tested genuineness of your faith produces steadfastness. That's why First 1 Peter 1, 1.6, which by the way is also written to suffering Christians, he also says the same thing, counting it, oh joy, when your faith is tested. So God's test over your life is the process by which he proves the genuineness of your faith. In a moment, I'll clarify what I mean by prove. But first, let's look at some examples in the Scriptures that show us the ways in which that God might prove your faith and mine, or test your faith and mine. It's not an exhaustive list of examples, but some examples anyway. One of the most repeated examples that we see in the Scriptures of the testing of God's people is through Persecution. Again, James has written to Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. The book of 1 Peter was written to Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. And both authors are saying that this is a testing of one's faith. Revelation 2.10 says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Speaking to Christians, Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The Persecution is oftentimes a means of testing one's faith. And the way to endure the testing, by the way, according to Revelation chapter 2, is to be faithful. Be faithful unto God. Another example of testing in the scriptures that we see is in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, chapter 8, when Moses is speaking to God's people, he reminds them of the the ways that God provided for them in the wilderness when they had nothing. God provided this manna from heaven. So sometimes God tests us through what we lack. Maybe it's lacking financial provision or in some other way, some other kind of need that oftentimes can be a testing of your faith. Will you trust in God in those moments? One more example is in the Apostle Paul's own life in 2 Corinthians 12. Though it doesn't have the word trial or testing, but I think we can broaden that out to include this very concept of the testing of the Christian. Paul speaks about this thorn in the flesh, something that God had put in his life this physical ailment that he is pleading that God would take away, but the Lord does not for his own sovereign purposes. This becomes a means of trial in the Apostle Paul's life, a means of his continuing to put his trust and dependency upon the Lord. Any moment or situation in your life when you are called to put your faith into action, It's a moment of trial. God means to prove your faith. Now, what I mean by proof, by proving your faith, I don't necessarily mean that God means to see whether or not it is genuine or if it's false. If it's false faith, though sometimes it can have that effect. Like for example, in I mentioned this last week in the parable of the sower, and some of the seeds were sown on rocky soil, and this is descriptive of those who receive the word of God with gladness, but when the testing comes, they immediately fall away. They don't consider Jesus Christ to be worth following with their life. But by proving, what I mean is to try it, like metal is put to the fire and to strengthen it. When a metalsmith, say, is trying to craft a dagger, for example, he, has to, he takes a small piece of metal, perhaps rectangular in shape, and he heats that metal to make it malleable, to soften it. And then he takes the hammer and continues to pound away over and over again to give it shape. This is the process of forging And then later comes the process of tempering the metal. And this is a repeated process. This is the process by which the metal, after it has been shaped and fashioned by the metalsmith, is to put this metal under the heat, just under critical point, and then letting it air cool. And the purpose is to harden the metal. The proving of your faith is the tempering of the metal of your faith. And while painful during the heating process, while painful even during the hammering, it's also intended to, to cool off in order to strengthen the metal of your faith. So this is what testing is all about. Now, what we can learn from the Scriptures is that the testing of your faith is according to God's glorious purposes. 2 Corinthians 12:7. This is Paul. He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So we see God's sovereign purposes in the life of the Apostle Paul. This was a sort of a testing of his life, a testing that he endured for the rest of his life. Now, many will say and argue that this this particular thorn in the flesh was his a physical malady, probably the loss of his sight. Three times he's pleaded with the Lord that it would be taken away and God would not. And what's the purpose? He knows what the purpose is, to keep him from being conceited. In other words, it's to keep him humble. Humility, right, is having perspective, the right perspective concerning yourself in relation to God. In other words, her humility tells you you're not the center of the world. You're not the most important person on the planet. Humility is to continually depend upon God over and over and over and over again. And what we see from this particular passage is that testing is intended to make you and me more Christ-like. Again, again, James chapter 1, verse 2. Count in all joy, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This is what trials are intended to do, to produce steadfastness in your life and in my life. This holy rigidness when it comes to the lures and the temptations of the world and even of our own flesh. Steadfastness is a word that means to abide under and to courageously bear up. Trials are necessary in the producing of steadfastness because trials teach us to keep ourselves in Christ and courageously stand in Christ. Moral philosophers and theologians define courage as the habits that enable a person to face difficulties well. I wonder, what are your habits like when you're facing trials? What do you tend to do? Or do you become impatient? Do you tend to take matters into your own hand? Do you become incredibly discouraged? Do you become Habits, the habits of our lives that are revealed when we suffer trials tells us a lot about our character. The scriptures mean to give us habits that will help us to courageously stand in the midst of trials and face difficulties well. This is why James says you should count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds because you know it's intended to produce good. It's intended to help you to produce steadfastness. It's intended to help you to lean upon the Lord Jesus and develop your character so that you may become much more Christ-like. So, If you want to respond to trials, you must learn steadfastness. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, I won't read the passage, but again, this is Moses speaking to God's people and reminding God's people of how God provided them in the wilderness and that God humbled them and tested them so that they might know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, for them, their experience, the most important thing about their experience is not that God provided this miracle over their lives, but it is that God provides. Tests are intended to humble us and to get us to a place where we are trusting in the promises of God. They're intended to help us to lean on the Lord as our provider. God and while 10 million people and only 5 million of those actually take this UPSC exam in India, Christian, all Christians without exception, are put through the University of God for the testing of their faith. And what we learn in the school of God is that some lessons cannot be learned from books, some lessons cannot be learned from other individuals, some lessons cannot be learned from sermons, now, some lessons cannot even be learned from the scriptures. Some lessons can only be learned by experience. Now, please hear me. I'm not trying to tell you that the scriptures are not sufficient. I'm not trying to tell you that you shouldn't read the scriptures, but the scriptures teach us how to bear under those trials. But it is up to you and it it's up to me whether or not we want to apply the scriptures teach us. Some things, such as steadfastness, can only be learned through experience. When we think about the tests that we are called to endure, there might even be several aims. Aside from being more Christ-like, to learn steadfastness, 1 Peter one twenty-two is an interesting passage. Again, this is, a, this is a book written to suffering Christians who are undergoing trial. 1 Peter 1.22, it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So there's a purification over our souls that happens when we are obedient to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Especially when we are obedient under trials. And what's it for? For a sincere brotherly love. So the tested genuineness of your faith and remaining steadfast under trials, not only does it show your allegiance and loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ, but it also shows your your loyalty to one another. For when someone is, is tested and falls away, not only do they fall away from God, but they also forsake the fellowship of his saints. And what the testing does at times is that it also purifies our love for one another as we as we encourage one another through suffering, as we are encouraged through suffering, as we experience particular trials, maybe at the same time, the same kind of trial, these things have a way of working love in us towards one another. 1 Peter 4.12 Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Speaking to Christians who are specifically being persecuted for their faith, but I think the general idea still applies about the testing of one's faith, whether it's due to persecution or not. Trials are intended to prepare us for the coming of Jesus Christ. Right, it's like standing outside on a hot day, 100-degree weather, and then, stand, and then coming into a building that is cooled with an AC. Right? It's, it's, it's a relief. It's nice. That when Jesus Christ returns, we will experience an indescribable relief. It's like receiving a drink of water when you have been thirsting for days upon days upon days that is intended to increase your joy in the salvation of Christ, because you know that when you see him face to face, that is when all the trials will be done, when the testing will be done, and you can proclaim, I have passed the test. And I am now with Christ. Again, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. That is the, that is the goal. Receiving the crown of life. That is what we're after. I can bring it back to this illustration of forging metal. When someone is forging metal, what somebody say is, is trying to forge a dagger, they have to look for certain defects, whether it's the warping of the metal or bending, they have to look for flakes in the metal or cracks, because if they see those things and they try to produce a finished product, when you put that thing to the test, most likely it's going to crumble. It's going to break because there's cracks in the metal. You see, what the Lord does is that he takes us to the forge and he looks for certain defects in the metal of our faith. And if he sees those defects, well, it's back to grinding again, to forging again, to heating the metal again and shaping it and making sure that those cracks are gone So that because his intention, his goal is to fashion the metal of your faith into a golden crown that he will present to you when you come to the finish line. So God has glorious purposes in the testing of one's faith. Sometimes they're uniquely orchestrated according to your particular situation, maybe because God means to test you in a certain way. Sometimes situations that come into our lives and God reworks it or repurposes it to bring about some good in your life. Regardless, even though we know that there are glorious purposes that God even is, is, is behind the testing of your faith, this might still be a reality that is difficult to accept. And why might it be difficult to accept? Right? Because if we're honest, right, we don't want to be tested. We don't like tests. We don't like exams. Testing is hard. Trials are hard. You've been through trials already. Some of you are probably in a trial right now and you wish that it was over with. We don't like trials. We're all, I think, familiar with personality tests like Myers-Briggs, right? It tells you things about one's personality. You take them for personal interest, sometimes businesses, organizations, Tell prospective employees to take these tests just to see what they're like to see if they would work well with others. These are helpful, right? They tell you things about yourself, about introversion or extroversion. They tell you if say you are have these particular leadership skills or whether you can work well with others, whether you are have an administrative or organized mind, or it's helpful in that way. But the one thing that those tests don't reveal to you is your character. They don't tell you anything about your character. Personality test isn't going to tell me whether or not I can trust you, whether I can confide in you, whether you're critical, whether you're loyal, whether you're an impatient person, whether you're given to anger. They don't tell you those things. While God cares a lot about your personality, God cares much more about your character. And the testing of God is to produce your character. And character is tested, revealed, and produced in the crucible of trials. Now, if you're wondering, why are we given certain trials that might seem unbearable? Why right, some might lose a spouse. Some might lose children. Some might be plagued with a particular illness or disease that they struggle with for the rest of their life. Why does this person go through this? Why does this person go through that? Why does this person have have to go through this? Why doesn't this person have to go through that? To be honest, I don't know why. I don't know why some go through some things and some don't go through other things. But what I do know, according to the scriptures, that so we have a good God. And whatever the test might be, God intends to bring good out of it. God means to draw you closer to Him. God means to help you to lean more upon Him. That not intended for you to fail, God does not want anybody to fail the test. But even when they seem unbearable, God has already, God, God has given you the answer key. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's given you your word, but it is up to you whether or not you want to put his word into action. So the testing of our faith matters. The thing about the testing of our faith is also it's an act of love. And as parents, right, we, perhaps more than we realize, we put our children to the test. And it's an act of love. Like say, for example, we have a 16-year-old who just got their license and asked, hey, can I take the car to meet with my friends at the mall. It's a moment of testing right there, right? Because you as a father or a mother can say, if you have your license, sure, I will trust you, right, to go, to go exactly where you're going, to bring the car back in one piece, and to return at a certain time, right? It's an act of love to put that kind of trust in your children, And it is a test to see whether or not they have the character to do what they said they will do. But you will never know if you can trust them unless you put put them in that position where you have to trust them. And that reveals their character. The testing of your faith is an act of love from a Heavenly Father who desires for you to grow in Christlikeness Elizabeth Elliot, in her classic book, Keep a Quiet Heart, she reminds us, when Paul and Silas were in prison for preaching the gospel, they prayed and they sang. It isn't troubles that make saints, but their response to troubles. If you're thinking about habits, the habits that you you tend to have under trials, consider adopting the habits of praying and worshiping the Lord in the midst of trials. That's a good... Habit develop. Trials reveal character, and trials are intended to develop character. A lot more could be said, but let me conclude with this. That trials are for your good, and they're for my good, and they're ultimately also for the glory of God. How is that so? Because whenever our faith is tested, whenever we are put in a position where we have to trust in the Lord as our provider, we are required to trust in the Lord as our sustainer. It shows the magnificent worth of Jesus Christ when we do lean upon the Lord. It shows that He is worth it. It shows that He can be trusted, that He is worthy to be trusted, that He is worthy of our life. The thing about trials as a Christian is that they have hope. That they are for a purpose. When you suffer, when you go through trials, as somebody who isn't a Christian, right? Yeah, you might learn some things about those trials, but in the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it it will be for nothing. But the hope of the gospel is that the trials are not accidents the trials we experience actually mean something. And at the end of the trials, that there is actually hope. The question is whether or not we will be patient enough to wait upon the Lord and to trust Him. And as we wait, as we remain patient, as we trust in the Lord, we give God glory because it shows that through our lives that God is worthy of this test, that God is worthy of our admiration, that God is worthy of our trust. Because we make a decision that I will continue to follow the Lord and trust Him in this trial rather than turn away and turn my back and walk in the other direction. So it gives God glory when we trust in Him and we confide in Him. I'm not saying that we should be (laughs) praying for all the trials that we can experience, but rather, my hope and prayer is that we can respond to trials differently. That we can see them as hard as they might be, we can we can see them as an opportunity for blessing. That we can, as James tells us, count to joy, because the trials intended to produce our character that we may produce steadfastness, the steadfastness that we all need in order to run the race and cross the finish line and receive the crown of life that God has forged through the metal of your faith. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful that You work all things for the good of those who love you, for those who are called according to your purpose. God, help us to rest in your promises that are written for us in your scriptures. Lord, help us to be a people who are steadfast under trial. Lord, would you help us to be patient? Help us to not come to a point where we are experiencing a debilitating discouragement, but that we may have hope, that we may continue to have hope. And we do have great hope for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Savior who came and lived and died and rose again so that he may call us to himself through our faith in him and so that he may keep us and preserve us through the trials we experience and one day receive the crown of life we look forward to that day and in jesus name we pray these things amen
1: amen church let's stand and worship in response word, and sing, Lord, I need you. Amen. sing together. Lord, I come. Lord, I come. I confess bowing. Father, how how much we need you. Father, I ask that that you may that you may produce in us a steadfastness, Lord, in the midst of these tests and trials and temptations, Lord, and that you may humble our hearts as we obediently trust you. For who else can we trust? this lord in jesus name today's benediction is out is out of james 5 verses 13 uh, through 16 the word of god says is any is anyone among you suffering let him pray is anyone cheerful let him sing praise is anyone among you sick Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, church, and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power, as it is working. Amen to that. Church, God bless you. is dismissed.